Hello and welcome to a special episode of Pod of the Gaps. Uh, we are the podcast that seeks to plug the gaps between the church and the culture. My name is Aaron Edwards and I'm joined by Andy Bannister. And we are, of course, here podcasting this special episode in light of the news this week, the very sad news that we heard of our sovereign, in this country at least, and in the Commonwealth nations, um, of Queen Elizabeth II, who died at the age of 96. Um, so, yeah, we were actually, we had actually uh, recorded another episode, which was going to go out, but we thought it might not really ring very well. So it'll hopefully that will come out next week and it will be as though nothing's happened, we hope. Um, but Andy, we just thought, didn't we, we thought it would just be a good idea to kind of reflect and uh, share some thoughts on uh, what the kind of nation, but also nations have been reflecting on this week. Yeah, well, I think a couple of things. I mean, straight away, one is I'm, you know, it's interesting that she's obviously, you know, for for folks like yourself and I, she's the Queen of the United Kingdom. But of course, as you say, there's the Commonwealth so that brings many more millions into. And I've also been struck by, you know, I think the impact that she's had in seventy years of uh, of reigning around the, around the world. I mean, you know, very mm. very quickly, you know, in terms of um, tributes that came in from from our American friends, um, who they, they may have very different views of how to cons- construct a country. Um, you know, I think very close uh, relationship there. India uh, and other sort of parts mm. of the world as uh, as as well. I was no- I noticing sort of friends there reaching reaching out to me. So I think that interested me that the impact that seventy years has had. And then, of course, personally, because like you, like me, like you, um, you know, I'm an Elizabethan for the fifty years of my life. Mm. She's been on the throne. There's a sort of sense of stability behind behind the mm. culture, behind the behind the constitution, and mm. now that's changed. And I think, you know, I wonder what that's going to do culturally as a country. There's been a lot of change, you know, right. We've had, we've had COVID, we've had economic crisis, the energy crisis. We've had a change of prime minister. You know, one of the last things that Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth did before she died on, she died on, uh, on Thursday, on Tuesday, she'd sworn in the new prime minister. Incredible, the timing of it, isn't it? Her 15th prime minister. She's seen through 15, uh, 15 prime ministers. Um, but then the other thing, Aaron, that interests me is that the, the, the faith sort of conversation in the culture, mm. because I think you cannot escape the fact that she was somebody who, for whom faith was front and centre. She didn't just pay lip service. I mean, I noticed in particularly in recent years, you know, her address to the nation each Christmas was becoming yeah. more and more gospel uh, centred. Those who know her yeah. say her faith was very, very living. Uh, and, and and active and that that's come through which is interesting because we live in a culture mm. where of course that's often you know edited out like the you yeah. know the tolkien biopic a couple of years yeah, ago yeah. you know commentators noticed how that movie about tolkien's life managed to not even mention his christian faith so we're quite good yeah, at yeah. a culture but even the dear old bbc uh national broadcaster here which is famously liberal you know all over its broadcast yesterday time and time again her her faith was mentioned oh, that was fascinating yeah. such a significant time like that um mm this comes through mm, absolutely and of course we've had so many opportunities to reflect on the queen's legacy haven't we in, in recent years in, in the jubilee obviously this year and there was also what was there the 90th birthday six years ago um so there's been lots of these kind of days where people have had a whole day to think about it but actually there's something different isn't there when you know that she's gone it feels like the reflections have, have a different tinge to them there's almost like it opened something up that people didn't realize would be opened i think so i I was reflecting that earlier today and writing a few things about it um that i wonder if we're not going to realize the impact of this maybe for a few years many people won't because 
they don't know just what a job she did while she was there, while she was in well, in office, as it were, in that role. Mm. So we've been saying how great she was for years now. We've we've obviously you know thought about it a lot. We've we've thought about giving her lots of plaudits and lots of honor. But actually, there's just something different when someone dies. You can't really prepare yourself for the for the impact of it. And I guess it's a very different situation, but there's some correlation to when Princess Diana died in, in 1997. Obviously, that was a shock, so that that's partly why it was such a traumatic time for the nation. And actually, again, beyond the nation, it wasn't just people in Britain who cared about Diana dying. It was uh, globally, it was a, a shock, uh, which, which has, has something in it in itself, I think. But um, yeah, the, the, the it showed at the time this sort of sense of belief in something um which people weren't really living as though that was the case and then it happened and there's a there's a religious sociologist called grace davy at the time who made quite a lot of this to say actually that it showed something about how britain british people who who like to sort of talk a secular game um they like to sort of act secular or like or like they're beyond religion and in fact, that's what our next episode will be on by the way when we uh, when we talk about we get uh, the one the one we've recorded when we get there um but actually, it was these moments of the outpouring of grief was just kind of shocking. Um, it, it was like it was overwhelming the amount of flowers that were that were received, you know, at Buckingham Palace and, and other places. And I think that it, it showed something of where people try to pretend they don't care about stuff beyond themselves. They don't. They, they're just living their lives for themselves. Can I just get through my job, build a family? Mm-hmm. Maybe if I can get myself together, can I earn enough money to retire well and then I die? That's it. And I don't really care about there being any transcendence. Actually, it's moments of tragedy of, of any kind whether it's a personal tragedy but national tragedy which brings something out of this yearning for something more for some kind of meaning and so one of the things i, I think is interesting be good, good to get your thoughts on it is why why do we care well, what is it about the monarchy in particular like i'm sure it would be the case if the prime minister suddenly died or something but we don't mourn like this for anyone um, and there's something about the kind of head monarch the kind of head of state that in in a, in a royal situation with all this tradition that harkens mm. back and all this heritage and all this kind of connected weird old antiquated laws that brings something out of people that we feel like it's more significant and i i just find that interesting because it doesn't seem like it correlates with how we live our lives most of the time as, as sort of you know agnostic secular westerners oh i uh i would say i deeply agree with a lot of that, I think I think a couple of things, um, Aaron, struck me there as you were were talking. One, of course, is that we live in this very very individualistic age that says, you know, I am the captain mm. of my own soul. I build my own mm. destiny. I do what I want when I want with with whom I want. And mm. there are just a few things in life that real make you realize that actually that isn't true. That you are connected to others. I think child raising children is is yeah. one and we're going to have an episode in in the future on kids and i think there's a reason yeah. our culture has trouble with children because children yeah. are the ones sort of commitment you can't really shy you can't really back out yeah. of we don't you know we, we we celebrate people you know abandoning their spouses and and running off yeah. with their gay lovers but we don't yeah. celebrate the the parents who just leave their kids yeah. in a box on the door of the local hospital and go off and start a new life in marbella hmm. um and i think monarchy you see has shown this we're, we realize we're plugged into something you know, the monarchy does matter. I think it's a reminder that we are part of a society and that society has a structure uh, to it. And however much we may just sort of shout and say, no, it's just me, me, me. Actually, mm. something like this, I think, unsettles people because, as you say, they do care. I, I was struck yeah. by several journalists, you know, from uh, newspaper, news media across both left and right 
uh, today, but particularly perhaps more on the left, who might who might lean more Republican, sort of saying they were found themselves crying as they as they wrote their opinion pieces and couldn't quite figure out why. And I thought well, that's wow. interesting. Something's bubbling yeah. up, right? Yeah. And then related to that is the sense of duty. We live in an age that I think has forgotten that virtue. We've we've totally yeah. forgotten duty as a virtue. Yeah. You know, we're a very commitment shy culture. If you want to kind of radically change your life, as we say, you know, do it, abandon your partner, leave your job, leave your country, uh, tear up the, the playbook and do something totally different. But the queen yeah. for 70 years, you know, she made that, she made that commitment on her coronation day that she would, she would serve through that sense of that duty, that calling that she believed that God had placed on her. And she saw it out to the end. And I remember, you know, a few, a couple of years yeah. ago after, after Prince Philip, her husband, kind of died you know sort of particularly mm. commentators yeah. in the in the usa who didn't understand america british things quite as well as perhaps you know they, they ought to so sort of say oh maybe this will be the moment she steps down and abdicates because you know she's 94 and she's lost her husband yeah, yeah. i remember looking at thinking no she won't because for yeah. this is her, this no. is a, for her this is a sacred calling and i think mm. that's a challenge to us too because not wanting to this is not the moment to to put the boot into others or critique too much, but take, yeah. I think, some of the debacle that's been there in the last couple of years around Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. I think one of the issues is I think Meghan in particular did not mm. understand the like, the concept of duty at the heart yeah. of the royal family. I think she'd come from more of a yeah. show business um, where it mm. is all about the, the performance and the platform and you're there to draw mm. attention to your, yourself and we can discuss the rights and wrongs of that. But I think she brought that that idea, that worldview into you know her relationship with Harry, thought the story was about her, and I mm. think then struggled when she had a crash course and actually, no, it's not. It's about, it's about duty. Mm. It's about the crown. Yeah. And that Netflix show, actually, of that yeah. name, <laughs> I have many... Problems yeah. with the crowd. It's a brilliant piece of drama, but it's a terrible piece of yeah. history. But the, the first season actually gets some really good things right. I agree. And one yeah. of the things first it gets season. right is that separation between the person and the mm. office. So it's the crown. Mm. It's the office of yeah. the crown. And the yeah. role that forms for us in, as a nation constitutionally is what matters. And Absolutely. the moment you get yourself confused with that, there's a problem. And I think the Queen did a marvellous job of realising her job was to was to represent the office well to serve well and then when the when the time came and she was called home then the monarchy would continue and i'm encouraged that i think the early signs i see of the new king that he sees this too but duty gosh mm. we do a whole podcast on yeah on that we've forgotten Honor that as a duty. virtue absolutely i think you're so right that and it's actually you know it, it, the contrast with 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 Megan, we can hope that there will be, we can hope and pray that there will be a, a change of heart there. But it would take a serious kind of education in virtue for her to be remolded or reformed. Because because again, Hollywood culture does do that. Showbiz culture does sort of push you towards a kind of self glorification, which is so the opposite of how the Queen understood and carried out her role. So it's almost, of course, you can get a good, a, a better or worse monarch. It feels like we've lost one who is so good, but the perfect monarch for that kind of season of, of history, which we've just had, which though it's been bad, like Western culture has definitely been getting worse and worse and worse in that time. It's not her fault that that's happened. But if anything, it could have been a far, far worse situation had we not had her there as this kind of figurehead, an exemplary figurehead, I'd sort of describe yeah. her as, as someone we, we don't necessarily look to her for, right, oh, she does this, right, I better do this. But I feel like there's still something of how she's is, has been a role model, and even actually specifically a role model for mothers, funnily enough. I, I noticed how much my wife, um, 
when we I did a kind of little mini service in our house last night um, just for my family and and just to kind of talk about it and we prayed and we read one Timothy uh, two um, about um, praying for kings and, that, and those in in high positions which we'll come come to a bit later on maybe but but I noticed my wife was kind of particularly upset actually about about there's almost something that it she she was there as someone that you knew that she was there, almost like when a, a granny dies you just knew thought was always going to be there and who was someone who was reassuring purely because she was around purely because she was there and and you know she was a mother of four children again you mentioned mm. earlier about children you know we, we had a monarch who had four children that's even weird today to have mm. four children is a strange thing in our culture which is a i think a very sad thing and again something we might mm. we might uh get on to but there's there's so, there's so much there about the contrast with our younger generation that, that really need to learn what duty and honor are and again that the the success of things like the crown or even downton abbey which made similar points really about i mean you know it wasn't like an advert of the aristocracy but it was sort of trying to get into the heart of what what were the good ones trying to do at least what, what was the nobility um of those people of, of the gentry trying to kind of mm. um succeed in doing and i, I just want to it, it, it be interesting because you mentioned earlier are uh, some of our listeners who would certainly <laughs> be like what, what is this about this is crazy like i think even a number of years ago i would have thought i don't you know i don't really care about the monarchy i'm a christian you know god is my king uh, yeah there's all these kind of all these worldly systems are just sort of odd because actually loads of loads of them have gone wrong and there's a reason why we have uh, a constitutional monarchy so a kind of you know postcard monarchy almost some people would, would describe it as but I'm starting to realize how much more significance there is for a culture and a society and even for the church. Not that you know, neither of us are Anglican. Actually, you're kind of our Anglican now, aren't you? So, Semi-Anglican. Semi-detached. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a great one. Um, so there's obviously Anglicans, you know, this is completely normal for them. But for a kind of free church background, you're kind of just like, yeah, it doesn't really matter that much. And um, you can look into the history and find all sorts of problems. But actually, I I, I found some interesting stuff when, I, I, when I've taught on the role of um, church and state uh, at Cliff College in, in one of the, the courses we do here. I came across a really interesting book by Nick Spencer. I don't know if you've come across it called The Evolution of the West, um, How Christianity is I, Shaped. Uh, yeah, I know the book. I can I confess values. with apologies to Nick, who I have met a few times. I have not yet read it. He gave me a not copy some it, years uh, ago. And it's sitting on, it's about halfway up my to-read pile. Uh, okay, well, now you're going to go and read the chapter. I think it's a whole yeah. chapter on um on the divine right of kings, or perhaps it might just be on the one on democracy and talks about kings in it. I can't remember, but anyway, I'll give you, I'll get, uh, indulge me then for a long quote. Okay, see, so see, you, so you can, or cut me off if it's too long. All right, brace yourself, it makes, listeners. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Buckle we're ready up. to go. But it's basically trying to make the point about about why the divine right of kings, because that's the main critique of the monarchy historically. So, right, that there's this idea that these kings or queens, but usually it was kings, have this kind of, you know. Um, they have God as their guarantor, so they can say what and do whatever they want and just say, oh, God's in charge. He gave me this role. So anything I do is basically like in God's name. That's almost how people in a caricature see it. But when the notion of the divine right of kings came into being, um, or, or at least was um, codified, it, it had so much more theological significance than that. So here's one of the things that the quotes from Nick Spencer in this, uh, in this book. Kings were kings, not by force of arms or even inheritance, but by the grace of God. This meant they had to pay attention to his terms and conditions. In the early Middle Ages, the accountability of the king before God meant that kings were regularly reminded of their duties by the clergy who preached, wrote to them, or drafted their legislation. 
It meant valuing life, reflecting a theological attitude that saw life as a gift that should not be disposed of too easily, either by death or by surrendering people into slavery, which was a genuine problem, for example, in the Viking raids. Um, And it meant that there was a serious responsibility to secure peace, a hugely demanding challenge in cultures that were formed by a warrior ethic. So it's not just the case that a king gets to go, right, I've got the divine right of kings, I will do whatever I want, even though we've had some terrible kings who've failed in their duty. The point of the divine right of kings that you had, they were accountable to God, which meant really that the church had a lot more credence to be able to speak speak to them and say, you, you are wrong here. We've had, we've had examples where where monarchs have been actually chastised by mm. um, by clergy, and, and they've had to repent of that. You know, there've been Roman emperors where that was the case after Constantine's conversion, where, where we had emperors who were called to account and said, "No, you're not able to take communion because you've sinned," and then they've had to repent, and then they've been allowed back into in communion mm. with the church. So God is clearly the big deal, and so because yes. you've got this sense of God in charge, the kingship actually has more significance and it means that they're more accountable theologically mm. you know so I think that's yeah i mean we've talked a lot on part of the gaps haven't we about how about how in culture the, you know the pendulum swing operates mm. and of course you know there was a time where perhaps you know the divine right of kings you know you can see how if you push too far on that theology you get in some dark places as sure. you say the idea is a king you can do whatever you want with divine mandate but of course now we've swung the other way and we've mm. a culture that at least uh, you know, at least outwardly, even if underneath all kinds of things are going on, has secularized. Well, of course, now, how do you challenge? And you could argue, well, okay, we have democracy, uh, right? But to go, well, okay, well, that's just the voice of the people. That's just Vox Populi, mm. Vox Day. How do you mm. challenge the voice of the people? If the people, you know, vote in a despot, what do you do? Hmm. Um, and I don't think we know the answer to that as a, quest- as, as a culture. You look at the way that the country has torn itself apart over Brexit, where wherever you stand on that issue, you can't get over the fact that 52% of people voted for that and 48 people voted against. But a lot of those mm. who are on the losing side, you know, didn't lose very gracefully. Uh, and mm. maybe they were right. Maybe that, that was a wrong decision. But where do you appeal? Where all you've got is the voice yeah. of the people. When you do have yeah. the idea that behind your supreme authority uh, stands stands the, the authority of God, there is something in that. The other thing I mm. think that the, the, the monarchy here does... So, well, I'm reminded, uh, particularly again for perhaps American uh, listeners uh, or those of a Republican bent, I've been reminded in the last few days when discussing with more Republican leading friends on social media, I've I've misquoted Churchill slightly because Churchill once famously said of democracy, he said, democracy is the worst form of government that's been, the the worst form of government apart from all the others that have been tried. Um, And I think the same applies for for monarchy that you look around the world now and go okay if we didn't in this country have a monarch which particular head of state around the world would you <laughs> offer right now as an ideal candidate uh you know would you go for Ursula von Leyden whatever her name is in 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 Europe would you go for Joe Biden I mean who exactly <laughs> you can imagine the interview process lining up outside right yeah. and then also you'd get politics and the, and politics has been so toxified by social media mm. that comes into your you know, into a supreme level of your, uh, mm. you know, the, of, of, the, of the system. And I think one of the things I've appreciated in the 50 years of being an Elizabethan is the fact that the Queen has done a mar- fairly marvellous job, actually, of keeping politics out of it. Um, and mm. I think there's a real, there's a real example mm. there for Christians, too, because if we're going to engage in the culture, we are going mm. to come across people we disagree with. And there are times to have those disagreements. Yeah. 
there are also times we have to learn how to get along with those whom we don't agree with. And in fact, mm. our culture needs to learn that. We had an episode a few episodes back, didn't we, where we looked at how we disagree well. I think, yep. again, I think I think Elizabeth II has been a marvellous example of Christian character and how to do that, how to be in the same yeah, room yeah. with somebody you know she profoundly must disagree with, but actually to treat yeah. them with grace and dignity. And it's been interesting today reading, uh, you know, sort of comments and reflections from previous prime ministers uh, mm. commenting on, you know, how much they appreciated their, their weekly meetings with her. Because the British Prime Minister once a week goes and meets with yeah. the Moloch and has an audience with uh, with with her on our on our hymn. And mm. uh, lots of the Prime Ministers saying they deeply appreciated they were talking to somebody who transcended politics, who they knew, yeah. even yeah. though if she disagreed with them on this, you wouldn't turn around and say, well, I think you're being daft. But who yeah. they could say, what do you think? And she could mm. offer that wisdom. Um, and I've always wondered like God- whether... Godly like, wisdom... The- I always wondered whether, like, it would be quite cool if she just decided, you know, I'm just going to go old school now and just tell you, <laughs> I'm just going to be the queen and just tell you what what's going to happen now. But I don't think she's allowed to do that, sadly. But but, but it's, it is interesting, that tradition of the meeting regularly yeah. to kind of keep abreast of stuff. And the other thing as well, I, I do yeah. need to tell the story, actually, to hark back to something you said a moment ago. You talked about the children thing a few minutes yeah. ago. It's interesting, actually. My, my, my kids are, are ardent royalists. And the reason for that is my uh, my daughter Katrina, about two years ago, two and a half years ago, decided she wanted to write to the Queen, and she said, I want to write to the Queen. She said, and to ask her what she has for breakfast. <laughs> and so I was like, well, okay, we can do that. I, I I sort of had to sort of I tried to talk her expectations down. I said, look, you're probably not going to get a reply, and if the most you might get is a little postcard with a picture of the monarch on it that the sent yeah. out by the by, the, by the palace or whatever. Yeah, um, kind of well. So she duly sits down and works this letter out and writes this letter off and encloses a picture that her brother, you know, uh, Christopher, who was like four at that point in drawn. Well, two, three weeks goes by and a, and a letter, a very, very impressive looking letter, a sort of gilt envelope arrives addressed to my daughter. I was like, oh gosh, what's this? And it come from, it was postmarked Balmoral in Scotland because the Queen was up at Balmoral. So this letter yeah. that she'd written to Buckingham Palace had obviously found its way up to there. And lo and behold, although the letter, the letter was signed by the lady-in-waiting, yeah. It was clearly deeply personalised. It wasn't a standard response. It was Her Majesty thanks you for the letter. Uh, she thanks you for the lovely picture of a dog or something that your your brother Christopher drew. And uh, Her Majesty always likes to hear from you know her young uh, subjects. And uh, yours was an interesting question. She has been asked this before, and uh, Her Majesty <laughs> would like to say it depends on her mood. Um, uh, often something simple like a bowl of cereal or a piece <laughs> of toast. And so. <laughs> but, like, my daughter was just overwhelmed uh, that the delighted. monarch yeah. would take the time to respond to the question of a six and a half year old, which what you have for breakfast isn't as affairs of state go is not particularly important, but when you're a small person, it matters. But it, it moved me tremendously actually that she obviously yeah. cared enough to take two minutes of her time hmm. to dictate that letter to the lady in waiting. Oh yeah. She, it, she did. It. She just, she had, so that, that reminds me of a quote that, uh, came up in another article we, we, we actually i was going to say in last week's show but it's actually in next week's show we quote from um, a publication called the critic i believe is that what it is andy could be remember you remember what we yes. talked about in the future don't you remember what the future holds we better not talk about it too much but um it was a an article by a guy called sebastian milbank it's actually a different one to the one we're going to talk about in the future but he says um 
Far more than being an empty signifier or a modern symbol of unity, the Queen fully embraced a mode of life and a set of values utterly alien to modern Britons, what we've been talking about. Duty, religious piety, humility and service to her fellow man and woman. Um, and it says she found ways to connect with ordinary people, to articulate a shared life and, and mutually embodied in her conduct what our newly progressive nation no longer wished to hear explicitly articulated. So there's a sense of, yeah, she's carrying on, as you mentioned, there's the, the duty and the honour and the virtue. Um, she's carrying that on just as our culture is getting worse and worse and kind of moving further and further away. And it's those little acts, isn't it, of like, I'm going to respond here. I'm going to, I'm going to respond to this question because I care about it. It matters. And of course, you know, there's all sorts of things she can't do and can't respond to and she could have spoken out on and didn't. Um, but even sometimes in her reticence, I think you, may, you mentioned an example earlier, um, which you can share, about her reticence in situations even being quite wise. Oh, yes. Well, these um, the, the famous story, isn't there, of, uh, was it a year or two ago when some of the Her- Harry and Meghan stuff was uh, was blowing up and, and Meghan had uh, had accused, um, had suggested that she had been on the receiving end of kind of racist statements. Um, and, you know, the, that put the Queen in a very difficult position because the Queen doesn't engage in sort of, you know, the back to and fro of sort of social media commentary. But Buckingham Palace did put out a statement on behalf of the Queen, which I believe simply read, some recollections may vary, yeah. uh, which I thought in, you know, four words, just said everything it needed to do. It, you know, yeah. it rutted the accusations, but it also showed that she wasn't willing to descend to that level. I was also going to say as well, as we sort of, you know, begin yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. winding this up, you know, I think just to return it to the Queen and, and her, her faith, there was a beautiful, we'll put a link in the show notes, there was a beautiful book put out by the Bible Society oh, yes. a few years ago called The Servant Queen and, and, the, King uh, she serves. and the King She Serves. Well, I believe from memory, Her Majesty actually wrote the foreword to, which yeah, was I think she did. You know, un, unheard of. And yeah. it was just lots of quotes from speeches and, and addresses yeah. she'd given over the, over the years, making her faith kind of front yeah. and, and centre. And yeah. uh, and look, you know, we don't we don't idolise human rules. That's a very grave mistake. Um, you know, because yeah. not least, the, you know, if we read our scriptures deeply, uh, the moral there is that there are good kings and good queens, and there are bad rulers. And uh, you know, just because you get a good one doesn't mean the next one won't be a monster. Uh, but we do thank God for the good ones. Indeed. Um, I think particularly, Absolutely. particularly, I think one of the things that is I've reflected on on Elizabeth over the last kind of 24 hours or so just that that 70 year broad view and what that gives you you know we talked in an episode way 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 back and part of the gaps we did an episode on on reading old books or uh, we covered reading old books and there's that lovely quote from c.s lewis about you know letting the fresh breezes of the ages blow through your mind Mm. you know if you only read books written now you don't get different perspective read books of a previous age and that gives you different perspective and Mm. i think Liz brought Elizabeth. Liz, Elizabeth brought wisdom, um, mm. you know, from that. And I think maybe there's a future yeah. episode here in actually, you know, old age actually. And I think that our society mm. again, we become yeah. such a youth orientated society, uh, yeah. that we forget the importance of wisdom and what it means that you know, in Elizabeth's case, that she'd ruled for seventy years, the age of ninety six. Mm. That means you you learn some things and you gain some wisdom. Absolutely. And uh, you know, with youth comes energy, and uh, and that's a great gift. But I also think mm. with with grey hair, speaking as one who has grey hair, 
uh, <laughs> and uh, an age maybe comes the ability to look at some things and say, "Yeah, that's interesting. Let me let me share what I've learned from having seen this situation come around again." And Absolutely, again. and actually, and you mentioned the you know we yeah we don't want to over hype. Let's see how how awesome the Queen's been, but there is that that you know script, scriptural um sort of call to in, in Philippians, for example, to you know dwell on whatever is you know noble and pure. I think let me try and find it. Here. Yeah, I've got it here in the NIV. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about such things. So I think it is a, a good thing to do. This is a good thing to honor. Uh, mm. It's a good thing to, to bring thanksgiving to God for the good that um, has been visible in her reign and the good things that she's secured for um, the mm. culture, but also for the church during that time. Again, that goes back to the 1 Timothy um, passage I mentioned earlier, uh, where there's the the call to pray for um kings and rulers i'll just read it out from 1 timothy 2 Um, i urge then first of all that petitions prayers intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness this is good and pleases god our savior so one of the things it's good to maybe end on be good for you andy baby to perhaps pray for our because we can't pray for the Queen. We can give thanks for the Queen. Uh, we certainly can't pray to the Queen, as much as our Catholic listeners might want to uh, uh, do that, or, or perhaps Orthodox listeners who like sainthood and all of that. Um, but we can certainly give God thanks for the Queen and pray for the current monarch, of course, King Charles III, so especially those who might have doubts about that. So why don't you uh, lead us out with yes. an obedient response to Paul's exhortation there? Yeah, and also just to add very quickly before I do, Aaron, I think the you know we I think sometimes that we can forget the importance of that mm. as as Christians. We too can get drawn if we're not careful into the political culture wars. That you know if the person sure. we voted for and we like is on is in power, we get all excited and we love to sort of celebrate everything they're doing right, and we ignore their faults. And we you know mm. on the other side we point to the faults of the opposition and you know mock and pour um, scorn on them rather than I think Scripture would encourage us to pray for our leaders whoever they are, you know, mm. I'm, I'm reminded Absolutely. that, you know, like here in the UK, I am, as anyone who's listened to part of the gaps of the world, tell you, I am no fan of Nicola Sturgeon, the, you know, leader mm. of the Scottish parliament, but still when I was in living in Scotland, reminded that I need to be praying for her and, uh, and her family. And, uh, mm. and of course, as I lead out by praying for the new King, if you are listening to this, especially as an American, you know, this is a change of monarch and what great, what a great opportunity to reconsider, you know, joining uh, Absolutely. joining the empire i'm sure uh, the door's you know, open is, guys the door is open i'm sure king charles iii as one of his first acts would love to welcome a bunch of uh, former rebellious <laughs> colonists the palace gates are wide open are always open but uh <laughs> let me uh let me just pray and uh, father god we do just thank you uh for the life of uh elizabeth uh ii thank you for giving uh, us in this country mm. and around the world uh, a godly example of a leader uh, who was not perfect, but who loved you and served mm. you front and center. And uh, Lord, we now pray for her successor. We pray for uh, King Charles uh, III. And uh, we don't know exactly here where he stands in his faith and relationship uh, to you. He's got some kind of faith. And I pray that would deepen. I pray that you would draw Christians in positions of influence around him. And I pray that you would anoint him uh, to just lead uh, and take forward uh, that example of duty uh, and mm. service so deeply rooted in the gospel 
uh, an example mm-hmm. that his mother showed. And uh, Lord, we just mm-hmm. just pray for uh, we pray for this country, uh, the Commonwealth, and uh, and the wider world too at this uh, great time of upheaval. Mm-hmm. And uh, we thank you that uh, no matter who is on the human thrones, that uh, Christ is on the eternal throne. And in yes, His name Lord. we pray. Amen. Amen.